The word reconciliation gets um, used a lot these days, and it isn't always clear, and it's, in fact, it is clear that it doesn't always mean the same thing to different people. For example, when the province of BC last week announced it wouldn't back a First Nations-led bid for the 2030 Winter Olympics and Paralympics to be held in Vancouver and Whistler, those behind the bid right away spoke of how it set back reconciliation. Um, here is Chief Jen Thomas of the Tilbatoot Nation and Squamish First Nation Councillor William Williams from last week. This is 10 step backwards in reconciliation. The province has to step up now and, sh you know, build that trust, build that relationship with us. We didn't come to the table asking for a blank check. We were giving terms of this ain't the right time. When will be the right time for Indigenous peoples to be at the forefront in this so-called spirit of reconciliation? Uh, I should say that was Wilson Williams, uh, Squamish Nation First, uh, First Nation Councillor. And it got me thinking at the time, because the way the province explained it was that they didn't want to commit to another Olympic bid because it's expensive. Um, you need to guarantee there's always problems with cost overruns. It was going to be to the tune of billions. And they weren't ready to do that. They felt there were better things to spend their money on. Um, they did make the decision, it seems, unilaterally without explaining it to the groups who were supporting the bid. Uh, but it felt like this was a situation where the province acted in what it thought was the best interests of all British Columbians. Um, but that's part of the problem here. At least to me, this was a question of fiscal responsibility. Others saw it as simply dismissing a well-thought-out project without the kind of consultation that they deserved. And it was about respect. So that leads me to this. What is reconciliation? And what can we do to advance it? It's a question Jody Wilson-Raybould gets asked more than any other by Canadians, according to her. So the former Minister of Justice and Attorney General for Canada decided to put her thoughts down on what is a topic of crucial importance really here to try and provide some answers. The book is called True Reconciliation, How to Be a Force for Change, and it comes out on Tuesday. It rejects the idea that reconciliation is too complicated or too hard, that things will never change, and takes what can be a very broad and emotionally charged topic and tries to break it down into some core ideas and approaches that can be used by you, me, your community, organizations, even government. Because when we often put a lot of emphasis on those big moments or events, such as the papal apology for the Catholic Church's role in residential schools or the findings of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, real change and perhaps real reconciliation often happens quietly behind the scenes as attitudes shift and actions come to reflect that shift. And so ahead of its release and a book tour that will take Jody Wilson-Raybould back to Toronto, Ottawa, and beyond, it's my pleasure to welcome her back to the show to talk about the inspiration and motivation behind True Reconciliation, How to Be a Force for Change. Thanks for your time and welcome back. Yeah, my pleasure to be back. Thank you. This is, um, we spoke about a little bit about this book project last we spoke, um, about six months ago. This was this one's quite personal for you. What what does what does true reconciliation? The title is often says so much. Why true reconciliation? Well, I, I mean, thank you for for. I'm happy to circle back on this, and I can't believe um, the six months has elapsed, and it's actually coming out next week. You know, for me, the title true reconciliation is is trying to um, navigate through what I like to call in some respects the noise of reconciliation how much we have discussions that everything out there is labeled reconciliation which effectively in some circumstances makes nothing <laughs> reconciliation so I, I put true in front of reconciliation for me 
true reconciliation is about all of us as Canadians contributing to the development or the further development of different patterns of relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples that recognizes our distinctiveness, um, our differences, but also most importantly recognizes that we're part of an interconnected whole as a society. So true reconciliation is actually about advancing those patterns of positive relationships, moving away from denial of Indigenous rights and moving away from the long shadow of the colonial legacy. From what you've uh, said, uh, that oftentimes people have good intentions when it comes to this, but but don't know where to begin or don't quite understand um, what it is that that this all means. I guess is and and in some ways that that leads people to a certain paralysis when it comes to to sort of advancing. Because as you point out, a lot of the good that happens when it comes to rebuilding or at least establishing a better relationship happens in the background. It happens in the dark. It's not the big events. So you were saying that a lot of people come come up to you and they say, "Well, what can I do?" Right. Yeah, I, all the time. And I think it's even, I mean, it's getting more so in terms of um, engagements with people. And I think that's entirely positive. And there's lots of different reasons for that. I mean, one of the things that I, I try to make clear throughout the book is that there has been a lot of change in terms of advancing reconciliation and building more positive relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. And I believe that that is because Canadians are becoming far more aware of the reality of the history of this country. And it's not necessarily the history that we learned uh, when we were in school. Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, you know, the revelations of the mass graves, these all contribute to that increased understanding of the dark chapters of the history of Canada. And people want to do something. Um, but these periods of transition and transformative change, which I think we're in, can become confusing for people, all people, myself included, about what to do. So what I sought to do in, in answering that question, I'm often asked about what I can do to advance reconciliation. I put it and distilled it down to three core practices of learn, understand, and act and their interrelated practices about learning about the silos that we've created um, as a result of the history of colonialism, understanding each other and the diversity that exists between us and breaking down those silos and acting in coherent, constructive ways to advance and build those more, um, that acceptance and care and those more just relationships between and among all of us. There is, I, I said sometimes, and this is right across the spectrum, impatience. You know, on one side, there's in pay, there's sort of a, you know, for those who've been disappointed again and again and again, there's an impatience for this one to be real. For, for those who are just learning, there's an impatience to make it all better. You know, there is an impatience to make it, to make this, to, to atone for it all. Um, and then there's there's an impatience on another side that are just like, they don't, I don't want to hear about this anymore. How do we, how do you try to find how do you address that impatience? Because as you've pointed out, you know, it leads people to think this is actually harder than it is. Um, it, how do you do, how do you think one addresses the frustrations that are out there, or at least the impatience that is out there? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I, I mean, I think there needs to be impatience out there. I mean, I'm impatient about advancing these issues and, and the relationships. I mean, I break it down to the 
and people have a diversity of opinions about um, we've done enough or why do we continue to hear about this? This is confusing. How come we haven't been able to resolve drinking water advisories on in Indigenous communities? Like breaking down that confusion and, and recognizing that we all have a role to play in advancing true reconciliation and that we can't just say um, this is somebody else's responsibility but i coined this term or i borrowed this from a friend of mine and advanced it further in the book um, we all have a role to play as being in-betweeners right. and looking and understanding the diversity that exists you know indigenous and non-indigenous more so than that in our society just diversity of people that exist in Canada and becoming bridges between those communities, understanding different worldviews and how our worldviews have created the Canada that exists today. And when more and more of us act as in-betweeners, we start to develop a shared understanding of the history of the country and continue to advance in terms of actions about how we close the gaps that exist between the socioeconomic conditions of Indigenous peoples. Because you do point it out, I mean, there have been there has been uh, you know inquiry after inquiry. We see uh, you know more and more. This even this week we had a, a new report on on uh, indigenous representation in the prison system. I mean, and it never seems to change. And I suppose it can feel overwhelming sometimes when you see the scope and the breadth of the problems that exist. Um, how does one go then to become an in betweener when one sees something like that and you think, wow, that's how how are we ever going to solve this? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, we have a history in this country, and, and I'm not pointing blame at any one particular government or individuals, but we have a history of, of looking and viewing reconciliation as an event, as something that happens and then it's over. I draw on um, the analogy of a marathon. Reconciliation is a marathon. I don't know if it's because I was running a marathon uh, while I was re writing this book. True, but, it could be, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, reconciliation or achieving true reconciliation requires constant effort over time. And the sad reality is, is that governments of the day have viewed it as an event where something happens and a whole bunch of investment of time and energy goes into it, but then it's over or it dissipates from public dialogue. We need to continue to maintain um, our discussions about reconciliation and, and how we continue to build those relationships with Indigenous peoples. And it could be any number of actions in each of our own individual lives and responsibilities and jobs and, and uh, at schools. Um, there's lots of different activities that can be done. Simply recognizing that reconciliation um, isn't um, necessarily advanced through what I like to call performative or symbolic acts of reconciliation. There are different ways and different um, impacts of different acts. I mean, certainly wearing an orange t-shirt or lowering a flag or having a national holiday of truth and reconciliation are important for educational initiatives, but they don't necessarily lift a child out of poverty. They do not recognize Indigenous people's rights or implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So we need to know what actions are impactful and what actions challenge, elevate and advance reconciliation. You know, one of the things that struck me just looking through reading your op-ed in the Globe and Mail and so forth was that, you know, so let's take something like the Pope's apology, the Pope's tour. Yeah. There was so much put into it. And I felt like as it was happening, those on the those who were looking for reconciliation in that moment would could only be disappointed because of course it isn't, right? It's words. 
it's not actions, right? And that was one of the things that struck me that sometimes we we set up these these ideas for failure by by putting so much weight on certain events. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think it's a good and important point and different um, events and actions are important to have discussions about. And I think you and I talked a little bit about the the Pope when um, he apologized and came to Canada. I mean, that, um, and I don't want to take away anything for residential school survivors and families that saw that moment as an act of reconciliation. It was important for them to hear that apology. That's important. But I always look to and view um how do words or how are words translated into action? Are the Pope's words in terms of apology going to translate into action and return sacred artifacts to Indigenous communities? Um, how is the Pope's apology going to impact individuals here within the Catholic Church? But more importantly than that, moving beyond the words or the symbolism or the performative reconciliation, it, it's it's looking at what the actions are going to, what actions are going to be taken, how are individuals going to act, how are governments going to act, what is the Pope's apology going to do in terms of um, creating that space for the recognition of rights and, and respect and creating new patterns of relationships for Indigenous peoples when it comes to their relationship with non-Indigenous peoples. Um, I'm about actions and not simply words. We've heard too many words, but how do we translate them? It's the challenge for all of us. How, when you look at the political, you know, the, the lay of the land politically these days, do you, do you see what you want to see from, from all parties? Not just, you know, not just the liberal, not the, just, just the government, but when you look right across what everyone's talking about and doing, do you see any signs, any positive signs that are out there in the political world? Because of course, a lot of us, the best way we can, one of the ways we can advance reconciliation is, is in the way we vote, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I mean, it's kind of a, it's not a hard question for me to answer, but I'm trying to answer it in, in a really constructive way. I, I mean, um, sure. I mean, there are efforts that the current federal government and provincial governments here in, in British Columbia, we have um, a, an UNDRIP law and we have an action plan about implementing the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That's important. The federal government has made significant investments, has sought to address long outstanding court cases around discrimination with respect to Indigenous children. These are all important realities. But what I have talked about in the book and talked about when I was a minister, um, we need to have real tangible action that creates transformative change. We haven't seen any federal government um, enter into that space where there is a recognition of Indigenous people's rights and that in we create the space as a country, as a government, to enable Indigenous communities to rebuild um, their governing systems through self-determination, including self-government. That transformative change, and I see that rights recognition as um, one track that we have to pursue um, in order to um, enable Indigenous communities to actually make decisions to exercise their self-determination over their citizens and themselves. That's the transformative piece that um, has been missing from government action since um, the day this country became a country. Indigenous peoples have been left out. And, and I gather, I mean, true reconciliation, that that's the goal. I mean, I know this isn't a guidebook, um, but what would you like people to walk away thinking if when they finished it? 
I hope that true reconciliation uh, helps to cut through some of the confusion around reconciliation, some of the noise. Um, and I hope it's an accessible, practical guide that relays three um, core practices, learn, understand, and act about what people can do. And what I was taught very young, when I was very young by my grandmother and my parents, um, which is what I hope people take away from this book, is that everybody has a role to play in advancing true reconciliation in your own lives, in your own families, in your own communities, and in our country. And through um, a vision that recognizes how interconnected we are and appreciates how distinctive um, we are and, and can continue to be, creates a different vision for our country, a shared vision for our country. And I think that's what we need through acceptance and care um, for all of us to live in harmonious relationships with each other. Jody Wilson-Raybould, I look forward to uh, to seeing how it's received. Uh, and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it, how it's received too. And thanks for the chat. It's always a pleasure to, to join you.